The Inform Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman is a presentation of Inform Fitness Studios, a small family of personal training facilities specializing in safe, efficient, high-intensity strength training. On our bi-monthly podcast, Adam discusses the latest findings in the area of exercise, nutrition, and recovery with leading experts and scientists. We aim to debunk the popular misconceptions and urban myths that are so prevalent in the fields of health and fitness, and to replace those sacred cows with scientific-based, up-to-the-minute information on a variety of subjects. We'll cover exercise protocols and techniques, nutrition, sleep, recovery, the role of genetics in the response to exercise, and much more. For this episode, Adam welcomes back Robert Francis, exercise historian and instructor at Inform Fitness. If you're a parent with young children, you must listen to Bad Education. Robert explains how important exercise is for our children and details the fascinating yet sobering history of the physical education system in American schools, from its roots, its original mission, how we diverged, and what, as parents, can we do about it. For the first time in American history, there is likely to be a generation that are going to have a shorter lifespan than their parents. Well, I am so happy to bring back Robert Francis, once again, my mentor of so many years who I now have the honor of working with at Inform Fitness. He is a fount of information. When I asked him about all the subjects that we should talk about, one subject that he likes to talk about and he's well-versed on is something that you don't normally hear me talking about because I don't really know that much about it at all. Uh, Although Robert says, I do know more than I think about it. So we're going to find out. Uh, And that is the subject of the original intent of our physical education system in the United States. You know, gym class in school and how it compares to the actual present reality is how Robert likes to put it. So Robert, I guess we'll start with this question. Um, Why do you think this is an important subject? For this podcast, because you know we normally talk about you know exercise, fitness, nutrition. So here we're talking about the physical education system in the United States. So why why do you think this is an important subject? Well, we train hundreds of people a day in our studios, and I can see and you can see that people ask questions that they really ought to know the answers to. People come in with problems that when we talk, we talk about how preventable so many of these problems are. And it's very clear that people have had an inadequate education for 12 years in the public school and kindergarten on how to maintain their physical bodies. And in my view, A lot of what comes into our doors are not people wanting to optimize an already well-moving body, but they're reconstructing a body that is falling apart from maladies and from conditions that are completely preventable and that they ought to have been adequately educated in order to prevent. They're coming in with problems that have to be dealt with first. Sometimes they're injuries. Very often it's 
obesity and diabetes. There's a lot of makeup work that has to be done before we can put them on a course of really robust physical health. Well, you're right. I mean, are you, are you including a lot of orthopedic issues as well? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But it's not just orthopedic issues. You're saying things like, you know, metabolic syndrome type stuff, you mm. know, just obesity, high blood pressure, just, just bad health. And a lot of the problems that those things bring on, mental distress, anxiety, depression, and all the rest of these things that had they been maintaining, had they been taught uh -huh. according to original intent so, for physical education. Right. The, the, so you're saying the original intent of our physical education system, you'll have to tell us when that started actually. Is that the 40s? Is that the 30s? But the original intent, whenever that was in our physical education system in the United States, it was a good intent. They had good intentions and they did it well. Well, physical education has been something that's always been in flux in this country. And it's, uh, some of it has to do with customs and some of it has to do with cultural changes. But the original intent was so intelligent that it would apply today. And top physical educators today are trying to get back to the original intent. Well, what was the original intent and when did that start? Uh, the original intent was uh, voiced in the 1820s, but had its origins earlier than that, between uh, 1802 and 1809. The original intent was to pro provide children with the knowledge and interest in maintaining a high level of physical fitness for life. Was that a mission statement? Did you just read that as a mission statement from, from, from the Board of Education? Uh, that would have been early educators. I think there was no Board of Education yet in 1820. But by American educators, there had been a, a great interest in the works of Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. Plato, that many people don't know, was a wrestler. He was a student of Socrates, teacher of Aristotle. Plato developed what he called the academia, which means school. School is an English word, comes from a German word, schule, uh, which literally means place for having fun and learning. In Plato's Republic, he had addressed physical activity and its importance and its relationship to learning. Boys and girls learned far better in an atmosphere or in a, a setting where physical activity occurred on a regular basis, in fact, a daily basis. Plato had been very influenced in his observations of schools all over the Greek world. And he went to the islands and he went to southern Greece where he observed the very systematic training in Peloponnesia of Spartan boys. There was a very rigid training that started at age seven, and Sparta was not known as a city-state that valued poetry and music and drama and dance, but they trained their boys physically. There was no systematic learning program anywhere else. Everybody sat in what was maybe a theater, and the uh, expert or the guru or the person would come in and talk, you know, kind of like watching maybe uh, YouTube videos more than a systematic, today we do this, tonight we do this, 
tomorrow we get up at this time, we do that. And the systemization was very impressive to Plato. And that started to influence Greek schools everywhere. Now, this was of interest to Westerners in the 1820s because we started discovering these antiquities, started reading the old epic poems and started reading the old books written by the old masters of the ancient days. And we thought, well, this kind of learning are things that we will need in American public schools. Now, there had been systems of exercise developed in other countries. Systems based on the, the early Greeks? Uh, not necessarily. Europeans uh, also had similar interests. And so running, jumping, games with implements and balls and things uh, were in their early development. Most of it grew out of the uh, gymnastic systems. But the idea that physical education is educational and ought to be planted in the public schools rather than in, for example, Germany, it was the Turnverein, which they, these were clubs where you would, father would take son, meet their brother and, you know, and, and, and his kids, and they would do gymnastics and, you know, for the most part, drink beer and eat sausages. But the idea of placing physical education in public school education developed in the United States. It didn't develop anywhere else, or, or developed here first, meaning unlike Germany, physical education was not meant to be training for the military. Unlike Sweden, it wasn't training just for bodily fitness. And unlike England, it wasn't games and athletics just for recreation. Physical education is for the most part, an American concept. And it had been developed from interest in developing the body as a part of a person's wholeness. And that's a unique American idea, or is that directly from the ancient Greeks? Uh, the modern embodiment is an American ideal. But that is right. That is right. It, it was adapted from the uh, Greek Academy. Well, I want to talk specifically about the program. I want to know what kids were taught when you say that you try to emulate the Greeks about teaching education as the body is as some part of your wholeness, as, you know, complete person needs to be physically active and physically strong. How did they teach that? What was the early curriculum like and how is it compared to the curriculum now? Well, in the early days, there were no real physical educators. It would, it would usually be the people who were their regular teachers. A lot of it was not uniformly applied because it had to do a great deal with an individual teacher's own experience and what physical activity they themselves understood. These things started to get more uniformly applied later. Well, you're saying there was this push for, for educating children in our school systems in the 1820s. So who was pushing for it? Where did it start? Did it start, which school system did it start in New York? Did it start, did it start all at once? I said, you said people were pushing right. for certain states. The early models were at places like Harvard and Amherst College, because that's where the people who were educated and who had access to a lot of the um, ancient classics, and this is where the, the ideas were percolating. And so the development of physical education was from really the people who they observed as the experts in the day. And that would have been Swedes, Germans, and together with what was 
culturally known in the United States, games like rounders and games with, uh, uh, with balls and things like that. And these are the same places where uh, games like basketball and uh, volleyball were developed a little bit later. But physical education really started becoming what we know of physical education really around the Civil War time. And uh, there were educators who were looking at calisthenics and gymnastic exercises, which pretty much the, the way that things had been for 40 or 50 years. The other school of thought were advocates of athletics, and they felt that games and sports were more social in nature and that re they required more participants to make very quick judgments and called on other qualities, non-physical qualities, courage and cooperation, self-reliance and ethics. And a lot of that was from the English tradition of athletics and games where being a, a good team member would improve your character and it would make you an excellent citizen of the empire. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. I mean, we all agree that sports do all those things, but did they both win out? Because, I mean, I think schools incorporated sports and physical education as far as just getting stronger and exercise in general from a pure sense, not necessarily the competitive part. Well, another of the original intent of physical education in this country had been that American children would be made into lifetime participants not lifetime spectators. Participants in what? Exercise or sports? Same. Doesn't matter. But what ended up happening is the model that overwhelmingly came out on top was the athletic model, the teaching of sports, the rules of games and teaching of sports and the grading of children for much of American physical education, the grading of students against other children rather than against themselves that calisthenics and um, bodily exercises like gymnastics, or, and I, I have to say that the term gymnastics is not the term of the sport of gymnastics as we know it today in the Olympics. Right. Gymnastics- Was exercise back then. It was what we would call exercise. It was club swinging, clubs that were uh, uh, lo loosely, like a, uh, loosely like a baseball bat. So uh, that was considered gymnastics. That was considered exercise. Yes, that would that would have fallen into the category of gymnastics. So and club swinging was. The uh, United States didn't really adapt gymnastics as such. They started veering towards the um, sports athletics route. Well, in, right in in, in in the education in system. in physical education, the preferred model was the athletic model. Who there, were there any names here? I mean, who was a big proponent for you know gymnastics in the American schools versus who was the uh, big advocate for sports in, in the school education system? Well, uh, Walter Camp was a principal name. And Walter Camp, especially, you know, his name is, of course, highly associated with football. And I don't know how many stadiums are called Walter Camp Field, but there are a lot of them. So he and, was the athletics well, he, advocate. Well, he, he was one of the principal advocates for uh, athletics and particularly football. Football became, to physical educators, a, a model of what they called American manhood should be, that it was strength and it was fleet of foot and it was character building and it was obedience and it was fast thinking and it was everything that they thought American manhood should be. 
And really, I know that when I was in elementary school, my coach was a former football guy. And so many of us uh, who went to school in the 50s and 60s, our phys ed coaches were ex-pro football players. These were the guys who were chosen or who, who got the phys ed jobs rather than people who were specifically trained in education and knowledge about learning and teaching. Wait a second. I thought the whole thing about American education was teaching, and now you're telling me they're not. Well, physical education has been the exception, and that's what we're talking about. But I'm confused. The, uh, what I'm, well, the confusion is that we have very early on escaped from the original intent. Very early. I mean, like, it doesn't sound like we ever got there. I mean, all right, so Walter Camp was one guy. Who is the, who is the guy on the other side? Well, well, first of all, where's, where did Walter Camp come from? Well, he, he had been a longtime physical educator. He felt that by doing physical education with sports and games, and of course, football in particular, that that would satisfy a student's need or requirement for bodily exercise and that that would be sufficient to motivate them for a future of a lifetime of physical engagement. Camp wrote a book, The Daily Dozen Exercise Regimen. Right. So there were 12 exercises. They became known as hands, grind, crawl, wave, hips, grate, curl, weave, head, grasp, crouch, and wing. As the name indicates, there are 12 exercises, and they could be completed in about eight minutes. So you did this quickly. So that sounds like exercise to me. It doesn't sound like sports to me. Well, that's not what was proposed. He was a principal voice, not the only voice. Now, when you do things by committee, what ends up happening is, is never one individual's conception. So what was the other uh, side? Well, the, the other side were a preponderance of educators who had been proponents of the ongoing gymnastics and calisthenics, calisthenics method. Who was that? Was that like Bernard McFadden? No, no, no. He had nothing to do with public school education. The, the thing, you, I suppose you would call it the system, the establishment. But what ended up winning out before the 20th century was the athletic model. And that, for the most part, stayed a part of American physical education until World War I, when nearly 35% of draftees were unfit for military duty. And in fact, the term fitness is a military term. You think about fitness, your fitness for what? True. You know, you could be, you know, fit for shoveling shit from one end to another, but fitness was a military term, fitness for service. And that would be for war service. So 35% of American draftees were unfit for service in World War One. Immediately after World War One, there was a call for an entire reorganization of physical education in the public schools, that we can't have this uh, lack of preparedness occur again. And then everybody's budgets dropped because we had a depression. So that's one of the cultural changes that caused physical education to get derailed. It very likely may have gotten onto a very good path had we not had the depression and we would have had better preparedness for World War II. Now, World War II conditions were even worse. 40%, just a little over 40% of draftees were unfit for military duty. And we blame, and we blame at least in part, the fact that we were just focusing on sports and school, no. and we weren't 
focusing on or, or, strength and or or fitness? not or not at all. Very little was was happening in physical education because it was not made a priority. All right, so we win the war. What happens then to our physical education system? After World War II, things were very different than after World War I. In the 50s, uh, we started reevaluating just about everything because we were worried. We started worrying about preparedness. And of course, you had a general who was president of the United States at the time. And when Eisenhower. He, that's right. Uh, during the Eisenhower administration, public school buildings started going up everywhere. All of the new facilities were going to have sports facilities and were going to have much, much upgraded physical education uh, facilities compared to pre-war. By the time Kennedy came in, facilities were there. You know, money was free-flowing. We could now start exploring what physical education could be. And new schools that were being built were being built with the then state-of-the-art equipment. What kind of equipment was that? Well, there there would be uh, rings and bars and ropes and uh, even pulley machines and mats for wrestling mats and uh, parallel bars and a lot of the things that had been abandoned in the previous years and bringing back some of what the original bodily exercises so were. So schools were incorporating all these things? Because like, I, I remember, my, I mean, I was in elementary school in, in the... 70s and i remember climbing a rope i remember the pegs that you had to kind of climb up the wall and put the pegs one mm -hmm. after the other and really that which was hard you have to do whatever amount of sit-ups and amount of time and you know there there was like this element of physical education what you had there or what we had we were at the very tail end of kennedy's physical education program and that was where we were tested. We were tested at the beginning of the year, and we were tested in the middle of the year, and we were tested at the end of the year for uh, sit-ups and shuttle runs, and you'd be tested for your chin-ups, and you were tested from year to year. You would see your progression. All right, so that was the 70s, where we are now, because you're telling me, like, you know, because the people that you mentioned earlier, the people that are coming to us with metabolic syndrome, orthopedic problems, these are all the baby boomers that went through the school system like you and I did, because I am the last baby boomer. So I'm a six, I was born 64, right? So between 45, I guess, and, and 64 was the big baby boomers. And they went to school, they went to elementary school in the 50s through the 70s. And these are the people that, don't seem to be very well educated, and they certainly don't seem to be very healthy right now. Why? Well, there are things we know now, and there are things that were not known in the 1960s when Kennedy's physical education programs were being formulated. I didn't say that Kennedy achieved what the original intent was in physical education, only that it was a better system than what had come before. Mm -hmm. So there are things we know now that we didn't know then. There are people living longer now and people who are subject to cultural changes that never existed in the 19, let's say, uh, 50s, where by the time they were 50 years old in 1965 would be suffering from these metabolic diseases. There weren't certain things in the diet. There weren't certain cultural things and all the rest. Where are we now? There is a term that's being used right now all over the world, everywhere, called the new smoking. And that is something cultural everywhere. The new smoking was first used about 
three years ago in Lancet, the uh, British uh, medical journal. And the new smoking is inactivity and all of the things that go with it. That's obesity, that's a shorter lifespan. Obese kids are more likely to be bullied. They have poorer jobs uh, prospects when they get older. And these things are occurring because of people looking at screens. They are not doing things and they're they are spending hours and hours playing games. They're up till obscene hours of the night communicating with people all over the world and they're sleeping far less. They're doing far less. They're not riding their bikes and they're not playing baseball and they're not looking for hockey games and they're not looking to, to be active. And this is what they're calling the new smoking. Now, this is happening at exactly the time where physical education budgets are being cut everywhere. As I understand it, the median budget for physical education per school is under $800. That, that would be for the entire school. And I think it ends up coming out to less than 10 cents per student. So at, at a time where we have this explosion in the new smoking, that is inactivity, obesity, and all of the problems that go with it, because there are other problems that go with it. There are mental, emotional problems that go with it. There is a postural decay that's occurring, and this is something else that we see all the time. I don't think there's, or I'd be surprised if there's anybody under 35 that doesn't have their head slung forward and their shoulders rounded forward in a manner that is not going to be correctable. The posture problem alone is muscular weakness, eventually, eventual orthopedic problems, irreversible skeletal deformities, early osteoporosis. All of these things can contribute together with obesity into a vastly shorter lifespan. And part of the talk around the new smoking is that for the first time in American history, there is likely to be a generation that are going to have a shorter lifespan than their parents. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And the things that we now know that we didn't know in the 60s, and Kennedy implemented a lot of really excellence in physical education with not a very large expenditure of money or resources. I take back what I said a little bit. I mean, because I said, we're dealing with baby boomers, and they came out of the Kennedy, Eisenhower Kennedy theory that, that education belongs in the school. Uh, the, the original intent being, you know, the f following the Greeks, you know, what they, how they valued physical education. We had to do all that stuff in school when you had gym class, and we played sports, and we tried to climb those ropes. And, you know, there are problems with that. I mean, like, for example, people are not all kids are create equal and your ability to climb a rope doesn't mean you're not fit. I mean, there were lots of kids in that class that couldn't actually climb that rope and they were judged by their ability to climb that rope and they're scarred for the rest of their lives because they couldn't climb that rope. Meanwhile, they were strong, fit kids that maybe were bottom heavy because of their genetics and there's no way they were going to be able to climb that rope, even though they might have been able to hit a baseball a million miles and, and crush you on the front line of a football team. They just weren't climbing the ropes. And like I think we kind of had these very narrow ideas of what 
was required to be physically fit. And I think where education went wrong there was to be able to separate, as Ken Hutchins did later on, many years later, to separate the difference between exercise and recreation. There's nothing wrong with sports, but we have to know our risks. And there's nothing wrong with choosing these things. We're all big boys and girls. But when it comes to getting strong and, and the understanding of health, I think what we have to understand is that's not what sports do for us. Sports undermine your health, your physical health. It undermines the, the integrity of your joints. You get injuries that you might live the rest of your life with, like I am with my back problems and my shoulder problems from playing baseball for all those years. And here I am thinking that's all good exercise for me. I'm out there playing sports. But it wasn't good for my health because I'm suffering right now because of those things, my health. Mm. I mean, what Ken Hutchins did with the recreation versus exercise is exactly what I think should be taught in the schools right now. You make that distinction at an early age, the difference between exercise and what we do at Informed Fitness and, and, and the efficacy of high-intensity training that doesn't undermine your health versus the choice and benefits of sports and being outside and being active, like the Greeks said, be out there and be active, right? And you're talking now about our modern children sitting behind a computer all day long in the basements, not getting their sleep, which is a big part of health. Forget about exercise. Forget about strategic, high-intensity strength training to help them build bone and to maintain a mind of fitness and strength throughout their lives. Forget that. But they're not even doing the recreation part. They're not even going out and just riding the damn bicycle anymore. Why is why, that? Why, why isn't it in physical education courses? I don't know. Tell me. Why, why isn't my school right now understanding that distinction? That's right. That is it's, so apparent. It's, it's, not, it's not a rhetorical question because so much of physical education in this country has been polluted with athletics all of physical education is not even required in higher education unless you're an athlete his physical education has turned americans from participants into spectators which was the opposite of the intent of physical education physical education has become at the college level a farm team for professional athletics and that's all it's observed as. And if you're the kid who can't catch a ball and who, who can't stop the puck or something like that, you feel like you have no use for physical education anymore. And the original intent is something that one has to get back to. Right now, physical education is so devalued that in most of the country – you're not even required to participate every single year. What, in much of the country... What's, what grades are you talking about? K to 12. In much of the country, high school phys ed is only required optional. for a single year. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's optional. Or, and, it, and when it is provided, it's provided one day a week. In fact, in Florida, you're only required to have one semester of physical education between grade nine and 12, and that's all that's needed to graduate high school. And it's worse than that. You can do it online. Physical education. <laughs> There's one oh. state in this country that has physical education in its charter for every student, K to 12, five days a week, one state. Which state is that? 
That's the state of Illinois. Good for you, Illinois. Their uh, director of phys ed at Naperville uh, Public Schools is called Paul Zintarski. And this guy is going to be today's name in uh, our modern uh, phys ed innovator. Wait, what is he, he doing? Well, he's in part responsible for maintaining full load of phys ed every child, every day, K to 12 in Illinois. Now, is he the uh, what, education superintendent of he, Illinois? No, he's, or he's a phys ed director. Uh, Naperville Public Schools. Oh, so he's just responsible for, for Naperville, mm. which is a suburb of Chicago, by the way. Mm -hmm. After Harvard University sent a group of their directors to see what it is that's going on in Naperville, that their math, reading, science scores are far above the national average, that their school system is competitive with the best in Japan and China, Norway, Sweden. What John Ratty of Harvard University said, and this is the, the, this is in multiple, multiple sources after meeting Paul Zintarski and examining their physical education program and the way it relates to other subjects. Ratty said, exercise is like fertilizer for the brain. It's like miracle grow. <laughs> the thing about exercise, and this is at any age, and it's double true for people under 20 years old, that exercise builds neurons in new brain cells in the hippocampus. That's part of the brain that deals with memory and new learning. New learning, crossword puzzles, puzzles, trivia games, don't build brain cells. Exercise builds brain cells. So this is gonna become a big deal with Alzheimer's, yet another disease that exercise can deal with, but it has to be dealt with young. And Naperville's on top of that, huh? They are the state of the art. Physical education colleges are teaching the uh, system that they're using in Naperville. And uh, another thing, exercise, when it's applied, and when it's applied with skill, there are so many conditions and maladies that are just never going to happen to you. But the thing is that these things have to be dealt with early. Bone building in women, really, you have, uh, you have a very short window of really being able to multiply your bone density. And that's really from prepubescence until about the age of 16. Every girl in that age group ought to be on an intense regimen of strength training. And you're talking about between obesity and the maladies that follow and the depression and the anxiety and all of the rest of these things, the posture problems, the orthopedic problems, and the learning debilities. You're talking about maybe a trillion dollars. Billions don't matter anymore, but you're talking about trillions of dollars in healthcare money. Here you have a solution to so many problems, maybe not every problem, and maybe not the total solution for any problem, but at least you don't have to make something worse with the new smoking. True. Credit to 
Illinois for having physical education in their system for five days a week when everyone else is uh, you know, making it almost optional, it seems. But the question is, like I brought up earlier, I think it's great that they're making the kids get outside and have recess every day and there's maybe some sports involved and they're playing dodgeball every single day and they're playing their sports depending upon the season, I guess. But are they teaching exercise? Are they teaching the difference between exercise and recreation? Are they understanding that there is a difference? Do they understand the benefits of high-intensity strength training versus cardio? Are they making those distinctions? Because that's where I think we need to be in that, our education that, system. That, that is. In the first place, we have to take these things one step at a time. And the first step is physical education has to be a core subject. It has to be like math, reading, science, history or like the commies call it now, social studies, because we have to have the word social everywhere. But uh, the start of improving these things first, and no, Naperville is not on that. Uh, that's a component. Bodily strength is a component there more than in other physical education uh, systems. But the start is where Naperville is. That's the start. Every school, every grade, every student Every single day. No, I agree. It's very important. We have a lot of problems right now. We have a lot of problems with our kids staying in the basement playing their video games, not wanting to go out and do things. I mean, I had one kid tell me his dad brings him in to work out here. You know, I formed a bond with him because he's also friends with my son. They were in the same class. I said, well, why don't you get together with my son today? You know, maybe you can go swimming in the pool or something. He's like, uh, no need. I mean, we can just talk online. We can be together online. I said, but wouldn't you want to at least be together when you can? I mean, it's so easy for you guys to get together. You can hang out in the pool and go back and forth. You can play your games on the, on, on, on the computer, but you can also go swimming first and then go back and forth maybe. Nah. I think that's representative of a lot of kids, and, and that really scares me. It's early stage depression. It really concerns me. And it concerns me that the school, and, and part of it is that the schools are not emphasizing that. And if the schools are making at physical education almost nothing practically anymore. But like you said, I mean, colleges now are just farm teams for professional sports. So if you're not at that level, then you're not playing sports. I mean, they have intramurals. I remember intramurals in college. I don't know, they, I'm sure they still have intramural sports and things like that. And they were popular when I was in college. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's sad. It's sad, and the facilities are there already. So listen, uh, besides hugging your kids and getting them off the computer, we have to teach them. The schools aren't doing it. The schools aren't going to do it. And we, they, kids have to know how important exercise is. It's not just for state of mind, but it, it, it's for our physical health way into our future. What you do as a youth, physically, exercise-wise, has ramifications in your adult life. It's like investing into an IRA. If you don't invest into your health and your fitness and your strength, really, I mean, nowadays, to me, fitness means strength. As Robert pointed out, fitness used to just mean your ability to uh, fight in, in combat. Fitness now is about being strong and everything that comes from being strong. When I interviewed James Fisher, James Fisher was talking about you know, how strength is very, is, is very closely related to the lifespan. You know, the stronger you are, the less likely you are to die early. And our youth, as you pointed out, they're kyphotic, they're underslept, overfed, underactive. Bad posture, flat feet, they bore easily. Yeah, 
You know, I'm seeing that now. I mean, hope I don't sound like the old generation saying, oh, the new generation today, they don't know, they don't know. But, but, well, you're, you're right as they were right about us. All right, we got to wrap this up. Sorry to end on such a sober note, but we have to advocate for ourselves. We have to advocate for our nutrition. And, and you know, like we're, another subject, another talk I was having with people is that, you know, hospitals have the worst food, by the way. And when you're in the hospital and they feed, they, they, they serve you the worst food. You know, they'll, they'll give 60% carbohydrates to a diabetic. You know, my wife works in a hospital and I've been to their cafeteria. It's unbelievable what they're serving in cafeterias or hospitals. I mean, like, where is our nutrition education? And if it's not being taught in the hospitals, if it's not being represented as a standard in a hospital, then where the hell are we going to get this information from? Where are people going to understand? You got to advocate for yourself. You're not getting it from the healthcare. You're not getting it from the hospitals. You're not getting it from the schools. You have to wonder if it's just not a wide-scale institutional plan to kill us all. Who knows? But, you know, get your kids outside. Get them to strength train safely. Get kids to understand the importance of being strong and fit. And when I say strong, I don't mean being able to beat the shit out of somebody, the bully in school, or I don't mean looking like some kind of Adonis on Men's Health magazine and you look like a huge jack. I mean, we, you know, I mean, we all deal with our own genetics. We're all normal, average people. But normal, average people can be strong. All right. So I don't buy this shit that that my kid is a my kid's more intellectual. All right. He's not the jock. It's not about being a jock versus an intellectual. It's about being an intellectual and being a strong intellectual. You can be an intellectual and not be into sports. All right. And still be strong. And kids need to understand the difference because they're being taught something else. They're being taught that if you're not into sports, then you're not an athlete and you shouldn't work out and you don't have to work out because what's the point of working out if you're not going to play a sport? Well, you'll be a better intellectual if you're uh, much stronger. Yeah. You'll be a healthier, longer living intellectual so you can, you know, so you don't die at 27 like some of my greatest influences. Plato was a wrestler. There you go. All right. So for you listening to this episode, and you're relating to this and you're thinking of uh, your kids and, and, and the school that you're in. Because I know we have listeners all around the world. I'm really curious to know if, if people are experiencing what we're experiencing and how the schools are dealing with physical education where you're at. Whether you're in the United States and different districts in the United States and different countries. Uh, I just started training some new podcast listener in, in Sweden. So I'm going to talk to him too. I'm curious. If you really want to know how to advocate for your kids, give me a call. I can consult with you. I can teach you how to teach your children about the, the principles of proper exercise, even if they're not, as they say in my town, even if they're not a sporty. So you got the sporties against the other kids that aren't sporties, you know, the gamers, I guess, you know. It's sad that a sporty, that people, if you're not a sporty, that, that you, you don't have to be physically fit. And that's a bad message to give to our, our youth. And we need to change that. And uh, if, if you're curious, look up Ken Hutchins' Exercise versus Recreation. I'm sure you can find that that essay online somewhere. And if you can't, let me know. I'll I'll send you a copy. All right. So I'm doing lots of virtuals now all around the the world. I just signed up some really nice guy. Hi, Tom, if you're listening from Sweden. I can really teach you how to to use a dumbbell correctly. (laughs) If you want to really learn how to stay strong in a brief period of time and move on with your life. All right. I've never thought about promoting virtual training. Here I am, and I'm doing it, and it's working, because I just realized it's not about our fancy retrofitted equipment. That's nice, but you still need to know how to use a dumbbell correctly and not hurt your shoulder. Remember, exercise versus recreation. 
All right, everybody. Thank you very much. I'll see you next time. This has been the Inform Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman. For over 20 years, Inform Fitness has been providing clients of all ages with customized personal training designed to build strength fast. Visit informfitness.com for testimonials, blogs, and videos on the three pillars, exercise, nutrition, and recovery.